scores! Gilmore scores! The Off the glass, the left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by all Aguila. Three bounds, another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. All right, we are underway on this Tuesday, April 11th, and we now know that only 81 meaningful games for the Calgary Flames this season. 82 will not be meaningful on Wednesday night after Monday's kind of very swift and jarring official playoff elimination from still having hope to having none at all in the blink of an eye and uh, two shootout shots. Cody Glass to extend it and then Tommy Novak to win it. The Predators keep their playoff hopes slim as they may be alive and the Flames officially eliminated on Monday night. We have got a lot to dive into on this hour of Flames Talk. Big picture, little picture, a whole lot more. Wes Gilbertson of Post Media will join us a little bit later on this hour as we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. But to Dig in. Let's welcome in Frank Saravalli, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com joins us right now. Hello, sir. How are we doing today? Uh, better than you guys, I think, in Calgary. Oh, we have the, the weather. The weather perfectly suits the mood as well. We were nice and sunny and gorgeous. And then today, gray and rainy. So it uh, suits the mood very, very well. Um, what, were your, uh, what were your observations as everything played out and the Western Conference playoff picture became that much more clear on Monday night? Well, we can get lost in the weeds if you want and talk about the Calgary Flames and their decision-making process and the shootout. We can talk about, you know, the fact that the Preds win a team that, you know, really had sold off so many pieces and uh, was dealing with so many injuries and somehow is still in the mix longer than the Calgary Flames. Or we can talk about when their season really ended, which was last week when they lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. Hopes were thin as it was then. But you head into that game, you win, and you have a chance to go to Winnipeg and basically pull even, level ground with the Jets. And we'd be having a lot different conversation today, I think, if that were the case. And so there's so many ways to go through this autopsy, to dig through and and pick through and cause the root and cause of death. But that, to me, is where it starts. When you look at the... Now 81 games the Flames have played, and uh, look, this has not been something that just came out of nowhere. I think people in this market and people around the league have been anticipating, or at the very least uh, being aware, that a non-playoff year was a possibility. But when it comes down to it, this this is a, a nightmare campaign for the Flames with their salary cap mm-hmm. spending, with what happened in the offseason, and with their finite window to, to win and compete. It, it's not like it's a one-year window, but it's also not a, a window that's open for the next seven or eight years either. So knowing the expectations, knowing the excitement that went along with this year and, and all that happened in the summertime, 
how did this thing go so wrong? And your observations from afar and, and what you know and who you talked to, why did this thing go off the rails as dramatically as it ended up going? This team hasn't been right all year. Yep. I don't know. I can't give you the exact reason why. I think it's a multitude of things. And on the list, I'll just run through a few of them. One, goaltending. When you go from 922 to 892, that's a lot of goals. Yep. That's a lot of points in the standings. My estimation, probably eight at least. That's one when you have number two, a bunch of you know significant pieces in your lineup have down years. Jonathan Huberto, incredibly disappointing for a big chunk of the year. Mackenzie Weger wasn't great. Um, Nazem Kadri had his moments, but also had a few really ugly moments. Uh, Andrew Mangiapane was on a milk carton and didn't come close to the season he had the year before probably in some ways to be expected, you know, that that's a recipe for, you know, coupling that with the goaltending is a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. And then number three, you add in, you know, for me, what was the sort of cherry on top of a ton of difficult uh, head scratching decisions by the coaching staff and Daryl Sutter specifically uh, was the Nick Ritchie shootout decision. And I get it. They're playing the numbers. But that, to me, was the piece de resistance. The, the, it, put, it put everything over the top of what's been a crazy year in that regard. The entire coaching aspect, the friction, the frustration, the Milan Lucic on the top six for months on end, Jonathan Huberto playing the right side for months on end. Go, you know, pick it apart. We could spend two weeks talking about this. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately for you, you will. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that take all those things and add, smash them all together. And you know what's the most annoying part about all of this, Pat? Mm-hmm. That they still were in it until game 81. Yep. Which tells me that there's, and I, I've believed it, I've seen it, I, I was part of the sort of herd of people predicting that this team would be pretty damn good this year. There's a collection of talent here that's better than the way they played this year, and that's the most frustrating part is that for all those things to go wrong and still be in it in the last week of the season to make the playoffs, it makes you want to pull your hair out. Yep, and uh, there's there's a lot more people in this city uh, missing hair as a result. There's no doubt about it. You, you know, you talk about, you use the word friction, um, and there there have been multiple public instances of, this head coach and a few veteran players not being on the same page or not seeing eye to eye. And that's just publicly from, from how you understand. Say, you should, you should imagine what it's like behind the scenes. Well, yeah. And I mean, look, I know that I, I know that there have been other instances where veteran players, it, not just Jonathan Huberdo and Nazem Kadri have, have been on different pages or, or have butted heads with the head coach. And, and so there definitely is more than just as what has bubbled to the surface, but I'm just, from what you understand, how, how acrimonious were things at times behind closed doors? I think incredibly acrimonious. And I think, not just between coach and players, but coach and other staff, coach and 
equipment staff, coach and trainers, coach and other assistant coaches, coach and probably at varying points front office. I don't think there's anyone that comes away from this season that isn't wearing the stain of the the Flames' failures. And I say that because it's real easy also at the same time to point to the coach. But we're kind of forgetting, too, like just in the same way that Jonathan Huberto didn't wake up this season and forget how to play hockey and Jacob Markstrom forgot how to stop a puck, it's that Daryl Sutter didn't wake up this season and all of a sudden forget how to coach. So that's really the tough part to reconcile is there's obviously a good coach there somewhere, but whatever buttons were pushed this year, whatever, however he pushed this team, it didn't, it didn't jibe with them and it, it definitely didn't work. And I think we got to a point by January where this was off the rails, if not earlier, and players were just sort of throwing their hands up in the air saying, this is no good. So what happens now, Frank? What uh, I mean, we've we've been kind of circling around for a number of months, saying, okay, if this goes the way that it could be going, there could be significant changes during the off season. If they end up missing, we could be talking about another extremely turbulent summer in this market. So it's been hinted at for quite some time. Now it's official; they will not be taking part in the twenty twenty three postseason. Are we in for? the off-season of change that has kind of been rumored and or hinted at over the last little while here? I think so. I don't have a crystal ball, though, to tell you how exactly it plays out. And I think the worst part about, you know, that from a Flames fan perspective is where do you turn? Who's got the answers here? Because I don't think Brad Tree Living has the answers in the sense that he doesn't have a contract for next season. Is he coming back? Is he the guy calling the shots? Obviously, he'll be the guy, I'd imagine, conducting player exit interviews, but who's gathering the intel, who's passing it along, and what comes next? That is, and I, I don't think it's just Brad Tree Living that's in limbo. I think there's multiple members of the staff that don't have a contract for next season that really only the head coach to my understanding and knowledge does. Yeah, it's it's uh that, it's only Daryl, his assistants don't have contracts and none of the management staff is under contract for next year. And none of the equipment and training staff to my knowledge either. Yeah. So Yeah. Who 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 is uh, is it the man in Switzerland? Is that the guy that is is calling the shots? And if so, when does he plan on arriving to to discuss all this and and chart a path forward because there's there's leadership needed here and that's not a dirt that's not a shot at all at Brad Tree Living or at anyone else but how do we who do we ask for answers here now do uh when do we get like timeline wise when do these answers start to come do you think like do we get an answer on Brad Living's future in the next couple of weeks? Do we get an answer as to whether or not there's going to be coaching changes in the next few weeks? Or is this more of a, is this more of a situation where they really got to drill down internally and maybe it takes a little more time than that? I mean, typically I would say in most organizations, this is something that would be handled lickety split 
you know, season ends on Wednesday, you know, you're having exit interviews starting Thursday, players are getting out of town and getting out of Dodge, and then the decision-making process starts. That said, I, I don't know. Like, this team and organization is pretty deliberate, and I don't say that in a positive or negative way. It's just a fact. They don't, you know, there aren't generally rash decisions made. And so I don't, I don't know an answer on timeline. I would imagine that none of the sort of larger overarching, who is the next general manager of this team? Who like, is it going to remain Brad tree living? I don't think that answer lingers, you know, more than a couple okay. weeks. Okay. Well, and, and, and last one on the flames, Frank, and, and, yeah, I know there's a lot of speculation. Their season isn't even officially done. They've got one game still to play before they go down the exit interviews road. But, you know, we've we've talked, I don't know, it feels like every few weeks you and I have had conversations here about what does next year look like because the general manager still doesn't have a contract. And, and while we've discussed lots how there have been talks and while there were definitely offers made prior to the season, now it's April 11th. Now they've played 81 of 82. The season's about to end, and the GM still doesn't have a contract for next year. Do you have any better feel as to whether or not he will be back or won't be back next year, or is it as still as, as clear as mud as it was a few weeks and a few months ago? I have no sense whatsoever, yeah. like none. And that's not me sitting here saying, oh, like you're in the dark. You don't, I don't the people involved don't know. So he's, he's playing his know, cards close to the vest. It's not even that. I don't think he knows. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I don't think he has the answer for you. And that goes back to exactly what I was saying about who is calling the shots. Yep. And when will we have an answer? Because I personally believe that that contributes to a lot of what ails this team in the sense of, okay, so who, if no one else has a contract for next year outside of Daryl Sutter, who made the decision to extend Daryl Sutter? Because I can't imagine that anyone would want to be in the situation where the coach is the only person extended and no one else is. Mm-hmm. And more to the point, if Brad Tree Living was offered a contract by Calgary Sports and Entertainment in October, why wasn't it signed? Was the offer light? Was was there friction there in terms of was it not long enough? All that type of, of stuff. Yeah, a million things. Like yeah. what? Like so. If not, what's the answer? And then what's the thought process moving forward? Yeah. Are you, do you what, what are you thinking? Who's, who's building and who, how do you come up with a long-term five, seven, ten-year plan of where this team is heading? Because that's part of, I think, what, what the issue is. It is coming up with a cohesive and direct, uh, co- cohesive long-term direction for this team that doesn't veer off course yep. because I'll tell you what Daryl Sutter coaching this team for an additional two years beyond this one. That wasn't the plan. It was you come in, help, help us fix it a year and a half, two and a half years, whatever it ends up being and out. This is not a long-term Daryl Sutter is going to be coaching this team for the next five to seven years. That was never the plan. And I don't know how or why it veered off course, 
Clearly, there's a relationship with Daryl Sutter and Mary Edwards that exists long past uh, any of the current regime that no one really has eyes on and no one really understands and can get to the depths of what all of this means for moving forward. It's between two people. Yep. Frank Saravalli is with us. Uh, Daily Faceoff, dailyfaceoff.com. He's our Tuesday NHL insider here on Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Um, just a few around the league. Hey, uh, if you're if you're a betting man, who's winning the Pacific Division? Who's uh, who's getting that number one seat in the Pacific, my friend? It's a good question. I I feel like I'll have a better answer for you after tonight because you also you have three division leads that are up for grabs tonight: the Metro, the Central, and the Pacific. And I, you know, every time I sort of look at Vegas in a different light, and I say, you know, I don't know if they have the horses. I don't know if they can you know, get it done, they find a way. And that said, they've been able to hold off the Edmonton Oilers, who have been the hottest team in hockey. Uh, you know, l- go look at, at records since March 1st. Like, the Oilers are lapping the lead, the league. Like, they're, it's not even close. They're at, like, an 880 points percentage. And so they've been, I think, the team to beat. Um, I've been saying Colorado for a long time, and that's why this is also a potential – preview of a of a rematch if they get to a certain point but you know the abs without kale mccarr being fully healthy and it sounds like listening to jared bednar today that he will be fully healthy for the playoffs i just i, I don't like is he 100 percent? is he 80 whatever that number is like mm-hmm. i think that's going to determine a lot of what colorado's success is um over a bunch of rounds speaking of in so so that's the that's the situation on Makar. Sounds like round one of the playoffs is is what we're talking about. Might not return before then. What uh, what's your read on Mark Stone? I, we saw him skating again, and and I know that that always is a contentious subject when it comes to anything that could mm-hmm. be construed as Vegas cap circumvention or whatever. But are we are we expecting Stone to be ready for Game One for Vegas? It feels like Game One is a reach. I mean. I don't know how much skating he's done individually, like by himself, but obviously returning to practice for the first time on Monday to, you know, whether they play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whether it's seven to nine days you have to get ready. And it just feels like a bit of a reach. And considering the work that's been done on his back, um, pretty significant. So I, I don't have a real firm read on timeline, but I think, getting back to what you were saying about the cap situation, everyone's just kind of like throwing their hands in the air saying, really? Like you went out and spent $7.25 million of stones, LTIR space. Oh yeah. And he just walks out of the locker room. Like nothing ever happened on Monday before the playoffs start. Mm -hmm. Like everyone just kind of looks at that, rolls their eyes and says, well, were was this the plan the whole time? stash him until the playoffs begin when there is no salary cap. Like what the league has talked tough on this exact subject for a number of years. We are going to closely scrutinize every injury with regards to LTIR. Do they just not see anything wrong with this one? Like all the rest of them or is so hard to say, but all I can tell you is there's a number of people around the league that are not happy. Okay. Uh, and finally, kind of in a similar light, you know, there's been some 
interesting cap management that the Toronto Maple Leafs have had to do all surrounding the signing of Matthew Nyes out of college. And they've had to sign a couple of ATOs to back up in net. And we even saw one of those ATOs get in for a minute late in the game, all that type of stuff. So what, why has the Toronto goaltending situation been as strange as it's been? They've finally been able to get uh, Joe Wall up on, on emergency recall today. But why has this been such a, uh, a difficult situation? Why has it been so strange in that department for the Maple Leafs? Well, it's kind of simple. So to boil it down for you, on Saturday night, they ran into a spot where they had to use Jet Alexander, a guy on an amateur tryout contract, to back up. And that's due to the Matt Murray injury. Um, and so they work themselves into that position. So Saturday night rolls around. They get a 7-1 to lead on the halves. And Alexander comes in for the last 70 seconds, sort of throw the kid a bone, nice little celebration for a guy, uh, a memory of a lifetime. Sunday morning, the next day, they sent down Wayne Simmons. And so from the league's perspective, once you send down a player – you now have cap space to fix the issue that you had with your goaltending and call someone up to play in that spot. When they decided not to do that and sign Matthew Nyes with that corresponding salary cap space out of the University of Minnesota, the league said, okay, you had the opportunity, you made your choice, so that then when Monday rolled around and they're playing in Florida – they said, okay, well, we still have the same goaltending problem. We need to call someone up. Can we do it on an emergency basis with a $0 cap hit? Because it's an emergency, the league said, no, no. You knew about this on Saturday when you had Jed Alexander play. So, therefore, no, we are not allowing that request. We are denying it. And you have to use another amateur tryout guy to back up Ilya Samsonov. So then they then play back-to-back games now Tuesday – And basically the way the cap works on an emergency basis is you first have to demonstrate that you have the emergency. You need Mm -hmm. to go and play the game like they did against Florida, having, uh, I think his name was Nick Chernod or something, whatever his name was. uh, I've never even heard of these guys before. (laughs) Um, So they have him back up. And then once that happened and they played the game, now the next day as they're going to play the Lightning, the league says, okay, you properly demonstrated the emergency need. We will fulfill the request this time. And so now, because Ilya Samsonov has not played any back-to-backs all season long, they're going to have Joe Wall, who's now been freshly called up. They're going to have him start the game, and another amateur tryout guy is going to back him up tonight against the Lightning. Utterly meaningless game. The Leafs are taking no chances. Austin Matthews. Mitch Marner, they're all sitting out to rest. And that's kind of the beauty of the situation for the Leafs is, okay, our priority here was signing Matt Nyes, not whatever happens in net. Doesn't matter if we lose by a billion. We're, our playoff spot is locked in. Our home ice is locked in. Our opponent's locked in. Let's just focus on the task at hand. Good stuff, Frank. Uh, appreciate it as always, man. Uh, you be well. We'll talk again next week, and uh, who knows what flames topics we might have in a week's time. Hey, eh? thanks for doing this as always. Could be could be very different, Pat. Hang in there. 
Uh, thank you, pal. Uh, Eric Fra- uh, Eric Francis reporting some big news uh, as we say goodbye to Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider. Uh, Eric Francis reporting that Matt Coronado will indeed make his NHL debut Wednesday against the Sharks. Uh, and Elliot Friedman reporting that uh, Dustin Wolf on the radar to potentially make his uh, NHL debut. So some interesting things to keep an eye on on Wednesday's game. That's fun, and we'll definitely get into that in just a few minutes on the Daily Flames roundtable. Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. This is Flames Talk. Uh, okay, for that game on Wednesday night, the Flames and San Jose Sharks with uh, some potential debuts. Uh, well, why don't we give away a pair of tickets? Would you like to see Matt Coronado's NHL debut? Would you like to see potentially Dustin Wolf's NHL debut? Look, if uh, that's being thrown out there, I think we've got a couple of uh, a couple of debuts. I see a smiling Wes Gilbertson over there as well. Wes uh, is with us for the rest of the show. Hi, Wes. How are you, buddy? I'm good. That'll that'll at the very least give us something to sink our teeth into on Wednesday. Yeah, I uh, you know I threw that out there today. There's a couple debuts I'd like to see. I think we've all had Coronado on the radar, but listen, Dustin Wolf is a guy who absolutely deserves a look. We know what the spring looks like for him in terms of trying to lead the Calgary Wranglers to a Calder Cup. But give him a bone; he deserves it. Yep, I think it's uh, that's a pretty cool piece of news. So, would you like to go to the game? 960-960. We got to, somebody text in, I'll go. Um, we got to answer the trivia question, right? Uh, would you like to go? You got to answer my trivia question first. 960-960 on the text line. I need your first and last name on the text, and now you got to get the uh, correct answer. So, uh, Matt Coronado to make his NHL debut on Wednesday versus the San Jose Sharks. Okay. 2021 first round pick of the Flames. And here is your question related to Matt Coronado. Um, Who are the top two leading scorers from the 2021 NHL draft class? Matt Coronado, a 2021 first round pick. I need to know the top two leading scorers today from the 2021 NHL draft class. One of them easy. Another one is a little more difficult to uh, to go find. You might have to go do a little more research. This is on a that good one. one. Yeah. Well, I the, I was like, okay, well, that's too easy to just go with the number one. So who's number two? And it might surprise you who number two is. Uh, we'll wait for some answers at nine sixty nine sixty. Thanks to Frank Saravalli for joining us a little bit earlier. Um, Dustin Wolf's a neat little story. If uh, I, I think that that is very very cool to see him get an opportunity it's a carrot it's a reward and and i think it's it's absolutely something that is deserving that's if you're an organization you got to give your guys carrots and and we knew matt coronado was going to get in if the flames weren't playing a meaningful game on wednesday so that that one we were all expecting dustin wolf's a little bit more uh of a surprise and yet I think it's 100% the right move to make if you're the Flames. I had a conversation with Dustin Wolf. It was before he represented the Wranglers at the AHL All-Star Game. So let's say probably three months or so ago, and we were chatting, uh, and he was talking about a game in Edmonton in the preseason where he was the best. On Sportsnet 960, the fan. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. 
You're locked on Flames Talk. Only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time for a Tuesday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Pre-select your summer tire package now and they'll store your winter tires all summer long. This program's available until they run out of space. Visit MercedesBenzCountryHills.ca. Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, and now Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. We'll look ahead to... Wednesday season finale on our second part of the round table, but uh, we'll start with, uh, well, what happened on Monday night. And gents, I think we all knew there was a possibility. There was definitely the ability for the Flames to be eliminated from playoff contention. Everything had to go a certain way, and the Winnipeg Jets took part, uh, took care rather of part one by beating up on the San Jose Sharks and winning their game, and then the Flames unable to take care of business against Nashville, losing their game in a shootout, and that's all that was needed for the Flames to officially be eliminated from playoff contention. But, man, the way it happened, it sure did. It was it was a very swift and, and striking realization that oh season is over just like that it sure it sure did hit kind of like a ton of bricks on monday night didn't it boys yeah it definitely did and to be honest i'm not sure it's really sunk in completely for me yet Uh, i think it probably will if not after wednesday's game against the sharks that'll wrap up the season uh, maybe a little bit later on this week or uh, when the Stanley Cup playoffs start and the Flames aren't participating in them. Uh, I'm not sure when it's really going to hit home for me, but uh, a painfully fitting way for their playoff hopes to come to an end last night, guys. Uh, Because really, a lot of the same storylines that we've been talking about all season long. Uh, Another one-goal game, another one-goal loss, another overtime and shootout loss, uh, another loss to a team that's below them in the standings. Another game where they put themselves behind the eight ball and had to battle back and picked up a point, but not two. And yeah, those 17 loser points helped them stay in the race. But uh, boy, if they had been able to win more games in regulation time and and not be forced to try to win them in overtime or a shootout, uh, chances are we'd be having a much different conversation right now. And another game where they badly outshoot their opponent. And that doesn't lead to more goals than their opponent. So... Yeah, a lot of the same things we've been talking about all season long, guys. And again, uh, I guess ironic in a sense uh, that their playoff hopes came to an end in a a game like that that very closely resembled their season as a whole. Yeah, and let me just add maybe uh, another piece to that. uh, And that's another night where they didn't get the clutch contributions they need from their star guys. I I think back, and, and I actually thought Jonathan Huberto had a a strong game last night, but I think back to two minutes into the first period when Michael Backlund finds him with that great pass and it goes right over his stick. Well, in a game that we knew getting the first goal was going to be so important, there's a moment that one of your star players doesn't capitalize on an opportunity. You think four minutes later to Jacob Marstrom wandering out of his net and, and to his credit, He's made already a, a couple of really important saves up to this point, but, you know, he goes, he wanders out to try and play the puck. He tries to chip it past Mark Jankowski, and and we know what happens from there. Suddenly it's one nothing, and and you're playing catch-up for the rest of the night. I, I think to the third period when 
Nazem Kadri has a point blank opportunity, I believe, on the power play. And credit to UC Saros for making a really good blocker save in that moment. And yet another instance where you don't get those clutch contributions that you need from your key guys. And so add that to the pile that Derek already started the, you know, another one goal loss, another night you outshoot your opponent and don't get the results. Another just go up and down the list, right? Another overtime or shootout loss. I mean, 17 of those is just mind boggling. And, and as I said, another night that you needed more from those key guys in those really important moments. Yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, yeah, gut punch or whatever, however you want to say it. It's not like I, it's not like we were unaware of the fact the Flames might not make the playoffs. I think we've all been aware of the fact they might miss for, I don't know, the last two or three months, but it was just like all of what went into that game, you know, the, the fact that they couldn't take care of business against a team that, really has no household names on it outside of their goaltender right now. And give credit to Dante Fabro and, and, and Ryan McDonough because they, they took a lot of, like Colton Sissons and Cody Glass, like these are guys that took on top pairing and top line responsibilities where that's not what they are in the NHL. Glass has got that potential and McDonough's been that before, but it's not really what they are right now in the NHL. But they, they, they've elevated their game. But that should be a team that, especially when you're the Flames and, and you're as desperate as they are, if you match the work ethic and you match the, the details and the execution, you should be able to get the job done. But I don't know. Did, was Saros very good? Absolutely. Did he steal the game? I don't know if he stole the game. He was very good and maybe did it overtime. In overtime, he did. But yeah. before that, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he was highway robbery and this was such a dominant game for the flames and they had no business not uh, not winning it and then you get to overtime and they can't convert and they of course they can't convert because they've had so much trouble with overtime all year long i know wes you tried on a few different occasions to try to get a an answer as to why extra time has been such a bugaboo for him this year and all he got is I don't know. I'm yeah, not... still working on that. Exactly. And then you get to the shootout. And for a second straight night, shootout choices are being highly scrutinized on the outside. And the Nick Ritchie decision on the third shot is like, there's that, that's still, that's still getting, I'm still getting responses on Twitter about that. So it was just such a bizarre way to get there. And then knowing all you, all year long, we've talked about one more goal or one more save, Mm -hmm. and in that shootout, one more goal or one more save at the most important time, and they're still alive. Albeit, they're probably still not making it if they win, but they're still alive, and there's a little bit more pressure on Winnipeg. Instead, they don't get the one more goal, and they don't get the one more save, and now they're officially eliminated. So yeah, it it was just very, very swift and jarring how quickly it turned, and yet, it was very on brand. And I guess because of that, we shouldn't be all that surprised that it went the way that it went. Yeah. And it's something we talked a lot about uh, one more goal, one more save and players started talking a lot about it. And coaches started talking a lot about it. I even heard uh, managers talk about it. Uh, and again, that's one of the stories of this flame season. And you know, I think back to my first season calling flames games in 2014, 2015, they were the find a way flames. For all the right reasons. That team didn't have a lot of talent, 
but they found ways to win. This team has a lot more talent than that team did, and they haven't found enough ways to win. Uh, so maybe find away Flames because they found new and inventive ways to lose games that they could have won or probably should have won. And last night's game was one of those games for me. I know they fell behind 1-0 and 2-1, but they you know, battled back and tie at both times, and they were completely dominant in overtime. And, and that's another interesting thing. And maybe, Wes, you can shed some light on this, but we've been there for every practice at home this year, and I've asked people that uh, traveled with the team and were there for practices on the road. Guys, do you remember the team practicing three-on-three overtime this season? Because I don't. No, I don't. No, not off the top of my head. Yeah, and they've practiced shootouts a lot. And again, last night they were great in overtime. So the fact that uh, I don't think that they practiced it uh, certainly didn't hurt them last night, but maybe it did uh, at times this season. But man, the, the whole season has been a statistical anomaly for this team. Because if you finish second in shots for and third in shots against, which is where the Flames are at right now, you shouldn't be on the outside looking in on a playoff spot. But, you know, the... The quantity was there as far as the shots for. I would argue the quality wasn't. And pretty much the polar opposite when it comes to the shots against. So it started feeling like this quite some time ago to me. Like just one of those seasons. Just to kind of put an umbrella over everything that's happened and all of the different statistical anomalies. It just it, it felt quite some time ago like it was a season that wasn't meant to be for whatever reason. And the guys gave it everything they had down the stretch. You know, they could have uh, taken their balls and gone home a long time ago or packed up their tents or whatever analogy you want to use. And they didn't do that. They fought right until the bitter end. But the problem is when you put yourself in the position that they put themselves in, where not only did you need to run the table, but you needed uh, help from the Jets as well, you couldn't afford to put yourself in that position because they kind of got goalied against the Canucks on Saturday and they really got goalied against the Predators last night. And you just, you leave yourself no room for error. So it's been a tough go and, and I feel for the guys because it's not like they, they didn't try. Uh, and sometimes I think the harder they tried, the, the worse things went for them. It, again, just one of those seasons, guys. Either we should start talking about the NHL record for getting goalied as well, or we might be giving them a little too much credit sometimes for not taking care of the opportunities. And I know, I think one thing that we've talked about so much on, you know, on this round table and, you know, flames talk all told is whether there was the right amount of belief in there that they could actually, get this done during the stretch. You know, you always hear the same things, but we've always wondered, geez, do they actually think they can climb back into this? And and one thing that struck me last night was how shocked they seemed when it had finally slipped from their grasp. Yeah. Rasmus Anderson had a look of devastation that is sort of etched in my memory. And, and that tells me that they really did believe that they could get it right. done because this is a team that has been playing chase has had every reason to be discouraged as you said Derek and I like the way you summed it up they've found too many ways to lose this season and last night sticking to the script as well as it did I, I was almost surprised by the shock afterwards they they really believed right up until the moment that Tommy Novak 
lifted that shot over Jacob Markstrom's pad in the fourth round of the shootout that they could somehow squeeze into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we'll never know if maybe they could have been better in five-on-five overtime than they were in three-on-three. But their inability to close out games, be it in regulation, in shootouts, in three-on-three, it's all going to haunt this team through the summer. Well, and nobody thought that this team was going to miss the playoffs. Actually, I take that back. Very few people thought this team was going to miss the playoffs. Uh, I saw Jonathan Davis, uh, who's a regular guest on Flames Talk, tweet out earlier today that he put some money down uh, on the Flames at plus 275 to miss the playoffs. So he wasn't a believer, but I think it's safe to say that most people in this market and outside of this market were. And there are were a lot of people that thought the Flames would not only be a playoff team, but a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. And for a number of different reasons, that didn't happen. And just to add one more thing to the long list of things we've talked about that kind of derailed this Flames season, you know, last night's game against the Predators was another game against the team that was really injury-riddled. You know, they got one guy back last night, but they were without eight players last night, including four of their best players. Their best player, their captain, Roman Yossi, Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, and Ryan Johansson. And how many games were there this season where the Flames, who have been relatively healthy for the last two seasons, really healthy last season, and pretty healthy this season outside of Chris Tana missing, what, 16 games? They couldn't take advantage of teams that were way more banged up than them. And last night was another one of those games, and last Saturday night was another one of those games, and... Again, just one of those things, one of those many things that's still hard for me to wrap my head around. We uh, we don't have a ton of time, so let's just quickly kick this one around. Uh, Derek West, Pat, Daily Flames Roundtable. Game 82, Wednesday night. Uh, already um, we've, we've got reports, Eric reporting, Eric Francis reporting. Matt Coronado will play, as expected. Elliot Friedman reporting Dustin Wolf might be getting the recall, and he's on the radar to play as well. That's, those are two things that could make Game 82 at the very least. It's not as exciting as it should be, but there's some intrigue there for sure. Yeah, and, you know, one more thing that we didn't talk about, but you've talked a lot about, Pat, player utilization. That's got to be a storyline right now. I know it was a storyline last night, and I want to see Jacob Pelche play tomorrow night. I've wanted to see him play for quite some time, and I know I'm not alone. Uh, I wasn't up for Matt Coronado making his NHL debut until the Flames were mathematically eliminated, so uh, I know I'm on a, a different side of the fence from some when it comes to that. And I would say the same thing about Dustin Wolf. If you want to give him a, a reward for the great season he's had with the, the Calgary Wranglers now, that the Flames are eliminated, sure, why not? But I wasn't for bringing him up uh, prior to the Flames being uh, officially knocked out. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of these young guys. And uh, it's going to be a really interesting offseason because the Flames do have some good young talent in their system. And I know there are a lot of fans out there, and I know there are even some members of the media out there that would like to see the Flames use some of those young players, kind of like the Predators did last night. Those guys had a lot of juice, and it's one of the reasons why they found a way to win that hockey game. So I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing Jacob Pelche and Matt Coronado and Dustin Wolf, and uh, if there are some other guys that uh, get rewarded as well, that would be fun. I know Daryl Sutter said post-game last night that we have one more game to win. Well, for the first time since the preseason, it really doesn't matter if the Flames win tomorrow night. I'd like to see them win uh, their final game, their final home game for the fans, but 
Um, wins feel a lot less important uh, today than they did yesterday. I will be super brief on this one. I want to see Matt Coronado, and we're going to. And I'd like to see him get a point and go into the offseason with something to feel really good about. I want to see Dustin Wolf, and we're going to. And I want to see him go back to the Wranglers with the sort of performance that he knows he can build on when at whatever point as the two-time soon-to-be AHL goalie of the year, he gets the NHL. And I think if you can get those two things tomorrow night for the Flames, no matter what else happens, that would be a positive ending to a really frustrating season. It'd be, uh, it'll be cool to see those guys in. It's neat to see those guys playing. Um, I think it's the, the Coronado we all knew was going to happen. If they weren't playing a meaningful game, Coronado was going to debut. The Flames basically had confirmed that. And so that's, that's expected, but great news. But the news on Dustin Wolf is super cool because what a carrot for a guy that deserves it. You got to reward guys. And why not reward him with his first NHL game? And why not give him that same taste going into the playoffs and use that as an even larger spark for him going into a Calder Cup playoff potential run uh, for the Wranglers? I think that's awesome. Pelche back in. Yep. Got to see it. Want to see it. And uh, a whole lot more. I, I hope that Rizicka gets in. I hope Gilbert gets in. Uh, and seeing Dustin Wolf is so deserving. That's really cool. We only got about a minute here, Derek, but last word to you. Yeah, and maybe give Chris Tanev the night off with all that he's played through in the last year. <laughs> he's earned a night off if he wants it. If he doesn't want it, then let the guy play because the guy's been playing with one arm for a year. But as far as Dustin Wolf is concerned, and I'll, I'll wrap up today's roundtable with this, uh, talking to somebody who I really trust last night, I asked him about UC Saros, who I think is the closest comparison to what Dustin Wolf could potentially be in the NHL. Saros is undersized. He's the smallest goaltender in the league uh, at 5'10 or 5'11, 180 pounds, but he's one of the best goalies in the league. And the person I chatted with last night told me that he believes that Dustin Wolf has the potential to be even better than UC Saros. And if that turns out to be true, it may, maybe we'll uh, not forget about Mika Kiprasov, but uh, uh, talk less about uh, the former Flame because uh, it feels like he's cast a big shadow over goaltenders in the city ever since he left it. Thank you, Willsey. Okay, have a great night, guys. That is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour, and that'll wrap up the Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Pre-select your summer tire package now, and they'll store your winter tires all summer long. This program's available until they run out of space. Visit mercedes Hills.ca.